Ona's in control. Uh, that despite, uh, despite what a present appearance is, despite how things look, God alone is in control. All right, and then second, we talked about this idea that because God alone is in control, what that sets us to do, even as we are victims of very real offenses, it sets us free to love and serve the community that God has put us here on purpose to serve. Right? You and I are here in Saratoga County and in this area to, to model, to show our neighbors what life looks like uh, in Jesus' kingdom with God as your father. Right? We're, we're God's model home, his demonstration home, where others are invited to come in and see this is what life is like in the kingdom. And I think that's, that, that helps me understand the Sermon on the Mount then when he's, he's talking about here's, here's the lifestyle in God's family. Right? You're the salt of the earth, the city on the hill. Uh, don't, don't hide the light you've been given. Uh, live it out so that others might see and give glory and praise and thanks to the God who gave you the ability to do that. So Daniel is a very other-minded book, even as it also is a message for those who are suffering. So let's, let's read today's passage. We're going to take a couple weeks to get through Daniel 2, so I want to read the first half. And uh, let's listen to God's word. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time 
that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king it's the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. God's word, it is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, you haven't uh, put us here by chance, and nor are we meant to live as if everything depends on us. We are in your hands, our loving Father, and I pray you would use our time as we meditate on Daniel to help us better understand Jesus. Um, give us more of Christ, our wisdom, so that we might live well in this world, equipped with a deep faith, a peace that surpasses understanding, as well as a, a willingness, a relentless love uh, for our neighbors. So equip us to be your witnesses, to do your work today, in Jesus' name, amen. So what were your dreams like last night, <laughs> right? Do you, do you remember? I mean, sometimes my dreams are overly literal. I've woken up on a Sunday morning and said, wow, I just preached a great sermon. I wish I, wish I had that to preach this morning. And I realize I still have the whole day to face. Right? But I know one thing, no matter how weird my dreams get, uh, it's not something I default to to say, okay, God must be sending me a message. Right? We just don't think like that as, as Western Christians. We don't expect God to communicate through dreams and visions, but 
that is how God shows and, and to work through the, the cultural understanding of the day to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar. And he sent him a dream, a haunting dream. Right? It's, he's communicating with this pagan, violent, clearly terrifying person to work for. Uh, working for Nebuchadnezzar is good, ultimately. That's where the story is headed. And so, right, in the ancient world, they saw the world as enchanted, as the heavens communicating with earth from their thrones. This is what the gods did. They did communicate with, with dreams and visions. That's why Daniel has a job. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar employs these wise men, these magicians, these sorcerers, these astrologers, right? That's what they do. They look at the stars. Uh, maybe they get out the liver of some poor creature <laughs> that they just cut up. Um, but then they would say, this is what God is telling you to do, O great king, for the good of your people and the good of your king. May you live forever, right? If you're ever going to talk to a king, tell him you want him to live forever so that you live longer. That's what Daniel was trained to do, to, to interpret the will, well, of the Babylonian gods, right? And so there was that random note in chapter 1, if you remember. Daniel was a guy skilled with dreams and visions. It all makes sense now. This is a good storyteller. And, and so, here's how I want to dive into this particular chapter, and we'll come back next week and look at the dream in particular and what it means for us as Christians. This is a very Christ-centered dream in the latter half of the chapter. But I want to look at Nebuchadnezzar and how God is working with him. Right? I mean, some, some commentators will say that uh, this dream is, is Nebuchadnezzar's fears just manifesting and coming out while he sleeps, right? So there's no, they, they take away the supernatural element. This is just their understanding. And uh, us Bible-believing uh, Christians would say, no, this is God sending a message. And I, I think that's, there's, there's an element of both, right? This was so haunting to Nebuchadnezzar because he was afraid his kingdom's going to pass away. Right? That's what, his nights are sleepless. His spirit is troubled. He's on top of the world and he's anxious. I mean, just think about that, that dynamic. I have all the resources that the world has to offer me, and I can't sleep. I can't breathe. My spirit is troubled. The Hebrew word can also mean breath. That's a great image, right? I'm short of breath. My, my breathing is affected. I mean, I don't know if that... We would probably call it some kind of anxiety attack. Right. And so this is where I think this is going to be helpful for us, is why is Nebuchadnezzar the most powerful and successful Man, they think he's, he's about 30 years old. He's on top of the known world, and he can't sleep. And then what does that have to teach us as followers of Jesus about how to deal with our anxiety? Uh, from the, with the help of the God who reveals the unknown. Right? Because we have something better than Daniel. So let's, let's jump, in this way, jump in this way. Let's look first that God's wisdom in Daniel is for the anxious people of the entire world, not just the Hebrew people, right? See, one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar can't deal with, deal with is life's uncertainties. Right? Things change. To be human is to be anxious about, well, everything that's changing. And these days, everything is constantly changing. We're not sure what tomorrow will bring. And what Daniel, the book of Daniel itself especially this section, chapters 2 through 7. Um, it's, it's for the entire world. 
right? It's not just for God's suffering people. It's both, right? If you look at verse 3, when, or verse 4, verse 3 and 4, the king's troubled, and then the Chaldeans come and say to the king, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. There's a little footnote there in some of your Bibles that says from verses 5 of chapter 2 all the way to the end of chapter 7 is in a completely different language. It's in Aramaic, right? So you read the introduction in Hebrew, and then there's a natural switch to Aramaic, another language, and then it goes back to Hebrew, right? So like the way I would picture it, if I'm telling you a story about my missionary travels in Madagascar, I'll give you the introduction in English, but if I want my Malagasy friends to understand the messages that I'm communicating, I'm then going to write, assuming I actually had those skills, write in Malagasy, so then it becomes a little bit beneficial to more people, and then back to English, right? And that, that's probably not the greatest example because only a handful of people speak Malagasy. Aramaic was like English today. The known world, the way they communicated to each other across cultures was through this language of Aramaic, right? And so there is seem, this seems to be the best understanding that I've found, that the reason this is written in a different language the language, the common language of the world is so that others would come to know the God of the Bible. Right? That others might get to know Yahweh, the Lord, the Most High God who reveals mysteries, who sets up kings and removes them, who well, brings Nebuchadnezzar to his right mind. If you can do this for this king, what can he do for you? And that's, that's the beauty of this passage is Daniel 2 through 7, I think, really is an evan- ancient evangelism tract. You could put it that way. That the dreams, the visions, the interpretations, the stories, the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, the, the son of man vision, all of that, those great stories, they're not just for us, they're also for the world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's for those who are suffering. Find hope from... That the God who is, who is for you and is your God, he will fight for you. That's Daniel and his friends. Right? But there's also a hope that is being offered to those who don't yet know the Lord. Right? So whether you have a lot of Bible knowledge or none, the messages, the wisdom that you gain from Daniel is for you. Right? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Right? There's, a, there's a whole kind of anxiety that comes to our friends who don't know the God who is. Right? Nebuchadnezzar is a religious guy. His name uh, comes, he's named after a Babylonian God. And when he, it, we have recordings of, of when he was put in power, he prays this great and beautiful prayer to a Babylonian God asking for, for help and wisdom to do what is right by, by all peoples. Right, he's a religious dude, and his God is not able to help him with this anxiety, this dream, to know the, the unknown. Right? And for, for us today as secular people, right, if you don't know there's a God, everything then is due to chance or, or how hard you're working, which means your, your only real mo- options and motivations to succeed, to, to stay in power, uh, to rise to the top like Nebuchadnezzar is, well, it all depends on you. Which sets up a whole other kind of anxiety, does it not? Does it not? 
I'm anxious that I can't keep it up the facade that I have all things under control. Hence panic attacks and trouble sleeping and life in general gets motivated by fear of my life falling apart and me looking like a fool and a failure. I mean, you look at Nebuchadnezzar, he is highly successful. And in general, fear in our world motivates an awful lot of success because I don't want to fail. And so, Daniel is written, it's full of good news of God's rule and reign for all people. It's inviting faith to you and our neighbors. Right? And if, if you're doubting me, right, listen to Nebuchadnezzar's words. I mean, he comes straight from, from his mouth in chapter 4. Right? At, at the end of all of Nebuchadnezzar's interactions with, with Daniel and, and God, the, the God Most High, he sends a letter to everybody under his, in his kingdom. It says, chapter 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, right? He said, I was nuts before. I was mentally falling apart. I wasn't fully human. And then I blessed the Most High, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, right? And in the, in the beginning of chapter 4, it's even more clear. I read the wrong passage first, <laughs> Right? King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Right. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that happened to me, I want you to know. This God is in control. He is the most high. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. He helped me get my sanity back. He can help you. Right? And so, I, one of the ways I think we can apply this, right, it's a temptation for us, isn't it, uh, as, as believers, to hoard what God gives us, even the scriptures, uh, to be embarrassed by the supernatural elements in the, in the Bible, to, to wonder, you know, I find it helpful, but will they? I mean, do they really care? Right? I mean, it's really easy to say the Bible is a self-help book, it works for me, rather than seeing it the way Daniel sees God's word and God's revelation as good for every human being, because that's God's intention. See, what we're called to do is not hoard the peace that surpasses understanding that we get through trusting in God's wisdom. He gives it to us for the sake of the watching world, for our good and for the sake of the watching world. Right? I mean, that's part of what's happening in our text is there's a divine wisdom contest. Which God is in control? Which God really knows what will happen in the future? Which God knows the secret things? Uh, right? That's what anxiety does. It, 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 we're, we're, uh, well, we're like our weather app. We, we think we know what's going to happen, and we get all worried, and the weather app's completely wrong. <laughs> right? we, we're, our anxiety is always looking to the future, thinking and hoping and worrying about what we think will happen. And in this passage, Daniel, armed with God's wisdom, is showing that he really does communicate from heaven to earth 
and all of the Babylonian men, uh, the magicians and enchanters and astrologers, right? They're, they're armed with Babylonian wisdom and they, they say, I can't, I can't help you. Right? And so if you look at the story, what kind of person would you rather be under pressure? Daniel, I mean, he's the one who's calm, who's courageous, who doesn't panic. Right? He's under sentence of death, and he's, God gives him what he needs for that present day's trouble. Versus Nebuchadnezzar, who's angry and anxious and ready to kill anyone who doesn't do what he wants. Right. So, chapter 2 is written and, and, and communicating to us Faith is meant to be lived before the watching world. Daniel and his friends are modeling faith in crisis mode for, for their pagan neighbors. Right. So do you see that? I mean, here's one way we could do that this year. Actually, you could do it this week. Right. We're anxious. <laughs> Who's going to win the election? And based on all the advertisements anyway, seems like whoever wins, everything is going to go up in flames. So somebody's going to be wrong. Right? But one of the ways we can testify and, and be a, a comfort and a help to our neighbors is to model, like Daniel, faith in the God who sets up rulers, who changes them, who changes times and seasons. Uh, we can praise God for, for having, we have a king who's in charge, regardless of who wins this election. Rather than mocking the fears and, and maybe even tears of our neighbors, we can show them, hey, there's a God who's better than anything this world has to offer. Yeah, pray for them. Pray for their peace. So that, that's my point. Point number one is God's wisdom in Daniel is for every human being, everyone who's dealing with uncertainty, who needs to know that there is a God who is sovereign. Right? Now, what, what can we learn from Nebuchadnezzar and his anxiety, right? Because this is where we're stepping into the world and say, what is it like to not know the living God? He's an anxious person, right? I mean, why is he on the verge of this breakdown? We would call it a mental health crisis, right? Where he talks about this dream that's troubling him. He's got shortness of breath, seemingly. I mean, this, his spirit is troubled anyway, He's just not happy. He moves from anxiety to then to irrational anger. Not somebody you want to work for because, right, show me the dream and the interpretation. And if not, I'm going to tear you apart and destroy your family and everyone you've ever known. Sounds a bit like the Godfather. Right? And when they say we can't, only someone in heaven who doesn't live with us can make that known. That's when the king moves from troubled to furious and terrifying. Now, why is he so anxious and angry? Right. This is, I think, underneath a lot of our anxiety, and mine, is, mine included. He's angry because he's human and he has limits, and he's being told that despite all your power, despite all your success, despite all your comfort, you're still not in control. Right. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. He doesn't have ultimate power. His servants basically say, 
The only one who knows are the gods, and they're not with us right now. We can't get to them. So what do you want us to do? The thing you asked is impossible, and that just makes him angry. And that ties in nicely to the dream, because that's the message of the dream, is your kingdom will not last forever. There is a God. Your kingdom won't last. Nebuchadnezzar, you are not God. You're made in the image of God, sure, but you're not God. And if you look at the dream, this kind of reinforces this idea that, that Nebuchadnezzar really is angry that he is not in control. That's part of our anxiety. Right? The, the dream we'll look at more closely next week, but he, he sees this massive, towering image, uh, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, middle and thighs of bronze. He's got legs of iron and then feet partly of iron and clay. And then a stone not cut with human hands comes, smashes the clay feet. The image crumbles, it falls apart, and it becomes like chaff in the wind, and everything just blows away. And that stone that destroyed the image becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. You know, one of the commentators it was really helpful here. He says, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar's angry. He wants people to see him as this great towering colossus, a giant who cannot be defeated, um, someone who should be cowered before and, and obeyed. He wants to be seen as God. And the dream sent by God gives him the opposite message. You're not, you're not God. Right? So, what Nebuchadnezzar wants and can't get is to make a name for himself, like Babel of old. He wants to take the credit that belongs to God alone. And so my question to us then would be, do you see yourself at all in Nebuchadnezzar? Demanding respect. Demanding attention. Demanding the world revolve around you and me. I mean, I'm, I'm saying you, but I'm also, I should really be saying us. Right. How do you deal when someone doesn't do what you want them to do? <laughs> I'm not that different, right? I'm, I'm quick to get angry when I don't get my way. It could be my computer. It could be my kids. It could be a spouse who has the audacity to squeeze the toothpaste tube from the middle. I mean, there's very silly things we get upset about. Or maybe, maybe you're just afraid of what others think. It's one of my besetting anxieties, the fear of not being liked. I want, I want people to see my head like it's a head of gold, you know, something valuable, wanted, attracted. Or maybe you get afraid and anxious because you're afraid you're not going to get what you want. Feeling like others should give me what I want. Right? I mean, that, that's the whole point is anxiety. And then anger is all rooted in pride, and pride makes me wanting to be this towering, important, colossal, central figure in everyone else's world, right here in Saratoga County. And that, see, the fury of the king, he's raging against what it means to be human, and that's what pride does. He wants to be God, and he can't. So the famous atheist Nietzsche was uh, reported to say, if there is a God most high, how can I bear not being that God? 
How could I not deal with being the ultimate one? And so I just want to caution you. We read these stories, and it's easy to say, I want to be like Daniel, and I'm not like the bad guy in there, of course. I want to be like the hero. And I think we should be careful not to think that Nebuchadnezzar is utterly different than us. He has more power, more responsibility, absolutely. But our own desire, according to Tim Keller, is seen in all kinds of ways. Our anger, our fear, our worry and anxiety often reveal that I think I know how my life should go better than God does. I want to be in control. And so God lovingly sends you a message. Maybe it's through the person not listening. (laughs) You are not God. I am him. You are not it. So, anxiety, right? I mean, the power dynamic in Nebuchadnezzar's heart and his mind seems to be he worships power. And anybody who worships power and control is doomed to be anxious to hold on to that power. See? Here's another commentator, right? This is what anxiety does. This is what it does to me. I'm very, unfortunately very familiar with, with fear and worry in these things as it demands us to rule and have dominion because we're made in the image of God. That's what we're called to do. Right? We want to be seen as the, the gold part of the image. Right? Or the, the strength. I mean, this massive towering figure. But every image has feet made from clay. See, the weakness of the statue at the feet of this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw was an expression of his fears that he could not keep up his power or that someone would come along and and exploit hidden weakness. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is anxious that he can't hold on to what he's got. Which is counter to what the Bible says to us as believers, is it not? The message of this dream is, yeah, th- you are temporary. You are not God. Death reigns. You can't avoid being weak, so you've got to find some way to deal with your anxiety. Right. A couple, couple thoughts to reflect on this, and then we'll get to the cure, and that will lead us to the table. Nebuchadnezzar's anxiety and anger leads to that that painful, revealing question. Is your anxiety coming from a desire to be God? Or giving a God-like importance and dominion over your life? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your success. Maybe it's just wanting to be a likable person, whatever it may be, that it arises to a God-like importance. It rises to a God-like importance. That's idolatry. That's possible. It's in there. Now this isn't all there is to say to anxiety. We're talking about anxiety that's rooted in pride. We're talking about anxiety that's connected to someone who doesn't know the living God, who's who's finding out the hard way that he is not fully equipped to run his life, even though he he has conquered kings and kingdoms. So what about Daniel? It doesn't say anything about his fear. All we know is he's under a sentence of death and he's oppressed and he's bearing, he's the one bearing the wrath 
the, the pain that comes from someone else's anxiety. Right? And, I, and I know our congregation, and I know some of you, right, that there is also a kind of anxiety that is not rooted in pride, um, a kind of stress that is not sinful. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he's about to go to the cross, sweating blood under the very thought of losing the presence, the, the face of his Father who loves him so much. He too is under sentence of death. He says, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass for me. But he's so stressed out about what he knows he's about to go through being forsaken by God, being given up, paying the consequences of our sinful pride and anxiety. Uh, he does that without sin. So I just want to encourage those of you who are sick and suffering, and there are natural anxieties that come with just living in a fallen world. And C.S. Lewis would tie into that of saying some people can just always feel guilty about feeling anxious and see it as a, a defect of faith. Sometimes anxiety is just a, a form of suffering not necessarily sin. And because it's suffering, you then are called. As you go through something you would not have signed up for like Daniel, uh, to share in the sufferings of Jesus and then showcase your faith to a watching world. So, so be comforted. You know, there's, there's, this is a multifaceted discussion and conversation. One more... Uh, point, and this will lead us to the table and, and some comfort, and, and we get to taste the grace of our God. You know, we've seen that this wisdom is not just for us, it's for the world. We've seen that, that anxiety is relentless in its demands. Um, so how do, what wisdom are we given in Daniel to help cure our arrogant anxiety? We'll go with that. Right? And I love the lament of the wise men because they're so honest, Right? No human being on earth can know the secrets of heaven. No one can show the king what will happen except the gods, and they are not here with us. They are in another realm, another place. They're in heaven, not dwelling with flesh. And then you've got that great story of how Daniel and his friends pray in faith. God hears their cry. He gives them what they need. He gives them the wisdom and strength for that trouble. And Nebuchadnezzar then is led to a place of praise as he praises what God did through Daniel. That's at the end of the chapter. Right. Daniel is delivered. He shows his confidence in the God who's able to protect him. Uh, his courage and calm is inspiring as he is a model of faith. But what about us before the watching world as Christians? Right. Nebuchadnezzar wants to know his dream and he wants to know the future. What about us? What do we know about the latter days, the days to come? We know something ten times better. Jesus, God who became human on earth. And this is the answer to the, the, the pagan philosophers and the magicians and astrologers. They're saying, how can we get wisdom from God if he's not on earth? And the answer of the gospel is God did come from heaven to earth. The, the word of God, the revelation, the, the mysteries of who he is and what he's like became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John said, we saw his glory. Right? This is the pattern of the gospel that gives us hope and comfort for our anxiety is 
the God of heaven, the God of Daniel, his desire from heaven is to dwell on earth with us in the person of his son, Jesus. All right. Listen to Revelation 21 telling us the future. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with flesh. It's the answer to the cry of the, the astrologers. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, and neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. These former things will have passed away. The one seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's Jesus. Jesus put on God's throne with the desire to be with us here on earth, to write all these things and all these wrongs that make us anxious. It's such a simple message, but it's so profound that the, the rest of the world who does not know the God of the Bible, right, what you and I have to offer is the reality that God came from heaven to earth to dwell with us. He is God's wisdom made clear, made visible for our faith. First Peter 20. Just hear this claim, right? Afresh. This was God's plan all along. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made visible and clear, made manifest in the latter days. Right? That, that's connection to the end of Daniel 2, which we'll talk about next week. But he, you could see Jesus in the last times for who? For the sake of those who are believers God raised this Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope might be in God. See the pattern? Our hope for our anxiety is, is the reality of God wants to dwell with us. He, he is with us now. That's the foretaste of the future we get right now through faith in Christ. That's enough for faith and hope in crisis that he, he's broken through from the other side. So, Jesus is king, enthroned through the cross. Right, Daniel, he prayed and God answered. Je Jesus on the cross, he, he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God left him alone. Right, as Jesus was paying the price for our pride, he did so that, so that we might be greatly loved, be known by our God, and boast that we know him. And now live forever in God's kingdom. All right. And so with that knowledge, as we, we're going to come to the table here in a moment, right, food for anxiety is constantly telling yourself that Jesus is king uh, through his death and resurrection. And Jesus' description of life with him as king, with God as father, who's wanting to make his wisdom known here and seen and on earth, well, it's right in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about your life. Your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need. The birds don't hoard um, because God provides for them. The flowers don't uh, anxiously clothe themselves and make themselves beautiful. No, God just does that for them. And if God provides for everything he has made in the natural world, what about you who are of much more value than they? He will meet your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his commands, his righteousness, and all those things you are anxious about, right? Our, the things of our life, the things we need for each day, he will give to you. That's, that's the lifestyle we're called to live before a watching world, before the Nebuchadnezzars in our life. Life in God's kingdom. We're friends together in Christ. We pray about our needs, our concerns to a Father that we know loves us because of the cross. But then we also pray for our neighbors that he might reveal himself to them. All right. So, do you see how God is working? He's, he's always up to more than just in our, mind, in our hearts and our minds. He's working through us, just the way he worked through Daniel, uh, for our anxious and angry neighbors. Um, right? We are blessed to be a blessing. That's the pattern. I want to I dive in deeper next week to the dream. But until then, remember, right? Daniel's wisdom is for the watching world. Um, God wants to make himself known so much so that he sent his only beloved son down here on earth that his wisdom might be seen and tasted and experienced. And what we are called to do then as a result out of a lifestyle of gratitude is found in Colossians 4. So if you turn there and then we'll, we'll pray. We'll go back to Colossians because we were... We were there. There we go. Right. Just take one more. I want to take one more connection between the Old and New Testament and tie a knot so that you can see it again. Um, right, Colossians 4 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of their time. And then let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, in Nebuchadnezzar, when he was saying, you've got to do the impossible, <laughs> you've got to tell me the dream and the interpretation, he, he says to them, as they're saying, yeah, just tell us the dream. <laughs> in the back of their mind, they're saying, we'll make something up that'll keep this guy happy and we'll keep our heads. Right? They're trying to buy time to save their own skin. Paul uses that same phrase and flips it around and says, you have time, the time you have is now not to be used to, to save your own skin, so to speak. Right? Making the best use of the time. We use the best use of our time to be gracious, uh, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders that they might see and know the one who is gracious. Right? It puts a, an urgency, right? Just the, the urgency Daniel felt, you know, is under sentence of death. We're called to feel and, and experience that and just be equipped to know Jesus well enough to say, here's why my anxiety is there, but I'm not jamming the panic button because I know God is in control. And we get to talk about that. Right? Paul, there's a deliberate connection there, and I want you to see it because it's, it's a reminder that the wisdom of Daniel is for us, but also for the watching world. That, that armed with God as our Father, we get to point our angry and anxious neighbors to the security and faith we have in being known by Jesus, uh, of being a citizen in, a, in the kingdom of heaven. So, let a, the one who boasts, boast not in themselves, but boast in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Now, Father, there's a, 
a lot in your word to meditate on, and I know we have a lot to, to worry about, but I pray you gave us a glimpse today of Jesus seated on the throne, and if there are those who do not yet know the tenderness, uh, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of the ruler of this world, Jesus, um, that, that you from heaven would make yourself known here on earth in their hearts and minds. And for us as believers, I pray you would encourage us and remind us again that you're in charge. Um, you would continue to bless us with a peace that surpasses all understanding because we know and trust, like Paul said, out of your riches of glory, you will supply our every need in Christ. So continue to mold and, and shape Hope Church into a community of faith uh, that models your wisdom uh, for an anxious world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.